building, but the church as we're, we're individuals that are a part of a whole. That's how God saves each and every one of us. You know, there is an individual aspect of your faith, and there is a corporate aspect of your faith, right? Our faith exists on these two levels, individually. You know, like I'm responsible for my salvation and my faith, but I can't, you can't, I can't believe for Ted. I'm like, like I believe that, I believe in God for Ted. That doesn't exist because we all have our individual faith, right? We all individually approached Jesus and said, Jesus, will you be my Savior? At the same time, when that happens, we're, we, we are entering into the body of Christ, right? And that aspect of it is just as important, right? You can't just be this one person in, in, your, in, in, in your house. Nobody else knows that you're a believer. It's just you and God, right? And God never intended our faith to be that way. So as a member of the body of Christ, Paul addresses his letter in this way. And it's funny how Paul Clay talks about Turkey because Ephesus and this whole book that we're reading is in Turkey, Back then, they talk about Asia. Well, Asia was Turkey, right? There, there's Caesarea, and there's like, you know, the, the, the Jerusalem and all of the, you know, the, 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 the Jewish countries. But then they would talk about Asia and going to Asia. Well, Asia was Turkey, right? It wasn't like, you know, Koreans and Chinese, right? Because they didn't, they didn't even know what was past these areas. They just knew that, well, Asia is this area where, you know, and, the, and all the churches that came up. Paul says that he spent three years in, in Ephesus, right? Three years. It's the longest time that he spent in any of his missionary journey. He said that he did everything that he can to, to plant churches in this place, to preach the gospel and make sure that everybody knew, everybody that was within his, his you know, like his, be able to hear and see him was able to understand and hear the gospel being preached. Right? And, so he, and so he has a, and he writes this letter to Ephesus, and he has a heart. He's like, hey, like I planted, I was like I planted a bunch of churches where you are, right? And then this is what I want your church to be like. And so this this letter is is directed to not just individuals, but to the body of Christ. And and he and he talked about attitude, right? Last time we talked about attitude. What should be our attitude? This is the individual aspect of our faith. It tells us to be humble, be gentle, be patient, be united, right? He says, bear with one another in love. This is, this is a way that we can actually show love. Right? A way that I can show love is patience. Patience is a demonstration of love. Gentleness is a demonstration of love. I could love Connor. I'd be like, dude, Connor, I love you, man. I tell it to him all he wants. But if I don't actually demonstrate it with the way I live my life around him and with him, then it's not really love. Right? I could tell my wife, I love you, I love you, I love you. But you know, if I'm a third to her all the time, then there's not really love. And so he tells us to be patient, be gentle, be humble, be united. As a whole, we must be united. Okay, and if we all grow in these, these attitudes like humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, the, we, the church will be more united. You know, and it has to start from the top. It has to start from me as a pastor and as, as a leader. I have to lead with humility. I have to lead with gentleness. I have to lead with patience. And then the way I live my life, you know, through the bond of the peace. He says the spirit of the bond, like the, of peace. There is a spirit, a bond that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit dwells inside me, you know what I mean? You know, have you, ever, you never play with magnets? Well, like, you used to like playing with magnets, right? Well, well like, you know, like if you get have two magnets, all right, and I, and then I go up to like, you know, somebody, like I go up to AJ and he has a magnet and we come close, it's going to, there's going to be like this, 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 this connection, right, between magnets, right? I used to love magnets. 
when I was a kid, I used to, you know, like you get a magnet and then you get a piece of another magnet and you used to like, like you used to go like this on the table and it would move around. I'd be like, magic, you know what I mean? It's all attraction, right? But then God, Paul says that there is a, there is a spirit of the bond of peace within us. There, when Holy Spirit dwells in us, there is a, an attraction that we have to people, right? To hearts of people, to souls, right? And, 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 and what brings that about is to live a life of humility, to live a life of gentleness and of patience. Paul here gives us the keys to how to drive the church correctly. Who's a good driver here? Anybody here? Who's a good driver? I do not believe that, Pearl. I don't believe that you even have a driver's license, right? I'm just kidding. Who's a, who thinks that they're a really good driver? Raise your hand, right? I, I, AJ, I can see AJ is a good driver, right? Now, Pearl, I'm sure you're a really great driver, right? But if you, if you want to be a good driver, you have to have the right mindset, right? You have to be cautious. You have to be alert. You have to be focused. You can't be distracted, right? You have to be like, you have to kind of like, like, you know, like anticipate what certain people are going to be doing, right? This is, these are all characteristics and, and certain mindsets of what it is to be a good driver. Well, for us to drive the church well, we have to be humble. We have to be gentle. We have to be patient. We have to be bearing with one another in love. We have to be united. We can't just say that we love people. We have to carry out the actions of love in the way that we are the body of Christ. Bearing with one another. And it's not easy. Right? And other leadership programs can't replace this. Right? A lot of churches have, you know, in our church, we have leadership and all that. But they can't replace the foundations of patience. They can't replace the foundations of bearing with another in love, loving each other, and being humble and gentle and gracious to one another. That has to be the foundation of the church. We have to be united and we have to be growing in these, in these attitudes in our lives. And, he, and, and we as, you know, when we drive out there, we're, like, there's a unity amongst drivers, right? Right? Everybody knows that green means what? No, stop means what? Yellow means what? Who said speed up? I don't want to drive around you, right? Everybody knows that like you're supposed to drive on the right side of the road, which is actually the right side of the road. I don't know about you Londoners and you South Africans and you Aussies that drive on the left side, right? All right, I'm not here to offend anybody, but... Right? But everybody knows that, like, like you know, you know, in Korea, you drive on the right side. I, I drove in uh, Mozambique and South Africa, and there were times where I would come to an intersection, and I'd be like, where do I go? <laughs> right? I, don't know, I don't know which side of the road, and I would have to, like, literally do, like, geometry in my mind. I'm like, all right, left, left, right, right, right. But there, there's a unity, there's a unity amongst the people that are driving out there, right? We all have the same kind of rules and regulations, and, you know, certain signs means this, and certain... Things mean that, right? And in the same way as the church, their needs, Paul's telling us that the church, one of the main aspects is that we have to be united. And we have to be growing in these attitudes. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We all have the same Lord. We all have the same baptism, called to the same Pope. And in these last days, Jesus, before he comes back, you know, like we have to try harder to see how similar we are to one another than how different we are. You know, how we are different and how we are separate. We have to start to see, like, hey, man, we're, we're together in this. 
Paul's pointing this out. He's like, man, you guys are all same hope, same faith, same baptism, same Lord. You guys are all been called to the same hope. These are all the things that you guys have in common, right? Be united. Jesus prayed that we would be one, right? So this ex- this has to exist on a mac- on a micro level, like between you and the person sitting next to you, right? You know, between the person that is is around you, right? There needs to be this this this, this aspect of unity and love and 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 gentleness, you know, and then also on a on a macro level as between churches and denominations and 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 and, and movements, right? We have to start to see, like, well, how much are we similar? Instead of pointing out all the things that we're different, right? Because Jesus is going to come back soon. We got to get our we got to get our story straight. We got right. He's going to come. He's going to be like, man, what have you been doing, man? Like, man, we've been loving each other, Jesus. We've been we've been trying to be one. Instead of like, look, I'm right and they're wrong. We, Jesus comes back and the first, you know, like when I was a kid, what did you do when when you, when something broke? My, my sister, my first thing she did is like, Caleb did it. Right there, he, he was running around, and he dropped that thing, and he did it. I'm like, no, I did it, right? Jesus doesn't want to come back to a church like that, man. He doesn't want to come back to people like, hey, we're right, they're wrong. No, he wants to come back and like, hey, we're one. We know your love, Jesus. We know who you are, and we want to be like you. We've been wanting to be like you. We've come together, and we've gathered ourselves under you so that when you come, you can rule us, and you can reign over us. That's the church. We have to aim for the right attitude. We have to aim for unity. And today I'll cover the next three aims or the themes that Paul lays out for us here in Ephesians 4. And we read it today. I'm going to read it to you. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ, Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descends is the one who ascends far above all of the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry or building up the body of Christ. Now, for this first part of this passage, it's a bit confusing. It's talking about ascending. It's talking about descending. And all the, like, you know, one who ascends is also the one who descends, right? Whenever I would read this, I'd be like, what are you talking about, Paul? Like, but then he's actually referring to a psalm. He's referring to Psalm 86 or 68, uh, verse 18. It says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. So this psalm that you know was written it was originally a celebration of God rescuing the, the Jewish people out of Egypt and then giving the redeemed people back into the world, right? It was a psalm that was written to kind of reflect what God had done, right? But Paul, being a Pharisee, right? Paul was like one of the best Pharisees, right? And for some of you guys, you hear that, and it's, you see, it seems like I'm like I'm saying bad things about Paul. But back then, being a Pharisee was like was it, right? It was like it was like being like like high class society. Being a Pharisee was like coming out of Harvard. And it says in the Bible that Paul he studied under Gamaliel. Is one of like it was like Michael Jordan the Pharisee, right? Right. If they're like, like if everybody be like, man, who's the best Pharisees? Like, man, it's, it's number two, number, number uh, 23, Galamiel, he was the best. He, 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 he reigned supreme as the best Pharisee, right? And he studied under it. So Paul knows the Bible inside. Of, he knows scripture. He knows the Old Testament. Like, like he hasn't met, like in order for you to be a Pharisee, you have to first memorize the first five books of the Bible. Think about that. Man, I can't even memorize a grocery list. 
Vina would tell me, like, buy this, this, and this at Costco, and I come out with only this and this, right? Right? Like, he knew, he knew the inside and out of the scriptures. And then he, he, he realized and he recognized that this was a look forward. Psalm 8, 68, verse 18, was a look forward into the victory of Jesus and him ascending into heaven. He descended onto earth, he died for us, and he ascended into heaven. And he's saying that this, this is a reflection of how, how Jesus is giving gifts to men. And Paul starts out by saying in verse 7 that, that grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. With that said, Paul is telling us that to every Christian that puts their faith in Jesus Christ, there is a measure of grace. I'm not talking about saving grace, right? Grace that's going to save you, but this is like enabling grace. Grace that's going to help you to do what God has called you to do, right? There is a measure of God's grace, God's gift within us. And he tells us that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or pastors, and teachers were given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Meaning the church is not supposed to be a place where pastors and teachers do all the ministry, you know, but the pastors and teachers and evangelists, they equip who? Who are we supposed to equip? The saints. Who are the saints in this room? If you're a saint in this room, raise your hand. I'm supposed to be equipping you to do what? To do the work of the ministry. Church is not a place where you go and receive and then you go back home and you do life. You are the church. Church is not a building. That word was never meant to describe a building. It was supposed to describe a what? Right, ecclesia. It's actually supposed to describe a, a group of people, a congregation. Right? A congregation is not the seats. A congregation is not the walls. It's not the roof. It's not the building. A congregation is people. Right? They're souls. And and and, and, this, and these get these ministers, these, these pay, the teachers, this, the evangelists, they're all supposed to equip the church, equip you for the work of the ministry. You have been given a measure of God's grace. And that measure of, of God's grace and gift within you is for you to go out and be the church. So you guys are saints to go out in the anointing of the Holy Spirit and to do and be and live the life and, and the actions and the callings that God has, has given to you in your life. Set people free. Touch people's lives. Preach the gospel. You don't have to be a preacher to preach the gospel. If that was the case, right, Christianity would be would be a small, tiny religion. If if it's, if it was only my words in in like this area that's supposed to bring the the the, the kingdom of God, dude, we're gonna fail. <laughs> but it's 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 every one of you guys are supposed to be equipped for the work of the ministry. This is actually completely different dynamic than what we find in almost all churches today. Who are the ministers? Right? They're the pastors and the teachers. People come to get ministered to, and then ministry ends, and then the people go home, and then ministry is all contained within the walls of the church. But is that what Apostle Paul is describing here as he's describing the church? No. And the third theme, the aim that Paul tells us as we look towards the, 
the what the the church is supposed to be like is is the is the aim of ministry. The church is called to minister. Not just the pastors, not just the teachers, not just the evangelists and the prophets and the apostles, but the saints. All that are called by the name Jesus Christ is called to go and minister to the world. This is God's plan. It's for you to minister. God's plan is the church. He talked about it earlier. Is that the mystery of God. Right? There's a mystery that God set into motion from the beginning when Adam and Eve fell. Right? There was a mystery that was woven into the, the, the Jewish people. And that mystery ultimately culminating in coming of Jesus Christ and the birth of the church. And he says the church is the manifold wisdom of, of God. Right? And, and, and that, that wisdom right, is for you in your life, for you to go out and be the church in, in wherever you go, in whatever capacity, within whatever giftings that you have. That means that each and every one of you, you can't like to underplay what God has given you. God has given each and every one of you guys gifts. It's in the Bible. That means you have it. You have the ability to form words with your mouth. You have the ability to love people. You have the ability to be nice to people. You have the ability to be kind. You have the ability to be gracious. You have the ability to be generous. You have the ability to, to care and, and, and look out for people. These are all things. These are gifts that God has given you and saying, okay, now go and be the church. This tells you that all of you, no matter what kind of gifts you have, all of you have a part to play in what makes up the church. You're not here to just consume. If you come to church just to consume, oh, that was a good word. Some people are like, oh, that's a good word. And you people that are very like responsive at church, like, oh yeah, mm, that's good. Oh man, I'm gonna write that down. Mm, that's good. And then if it just stays there, and that's all it stays in your mind, something's wrong. Because that's supposed to actually equip you in your heart for you to actually now go and do something about it. And the pastors and the teachers and everyone else is equipped is to equip you to support you to to raise you up. For the work of the ministry. I went to a retreat a couple of months ago, and I met this guy named Bobby Connor. Uh, Bobby Connor, he's uh, he's been ministering for like like years, like 40 years, and he said he was 75, and I was like shocked because he was like jumping up and down. He's a really big, heavy set man. He'd be like running around the, the area doing this, and I'd be like, "Dang, you're 75, and you're big." He's big. He's probably like 300 pounds, right? But like he, 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 was, he, was, he had the anointing of the Holy Spirit on him. He said he's been doing, he's been preaching every day for the last 40 years. And he says like, like not even, usually five, six, seven times a, a week, he would preach nonstop for the past like 40 years, right? And, he, and, and we had a, it was a really special retreat and we had a chance. It was Artie Kendall. You, you know Artie Kendall. You know how to get? Artie Kendall and Bobby Conner. We have a, a question and answer session with him, right? It's just some of the leaders gathered together. And we were there, we were, we were guests of this church that invited us to come. And then we had this opportunity to be one-on-one um, talking. And, and somebody asked a question about the apostolic. I said, well, what do you think about the apostolic? And then, and then Bobby Connor, he says something that actually just like, like, kind of like blew my mind. Uh, I kind of came, came up for it. Now, uh, he, and somebody asked a question about the apostolic. Now, some of you guys in here right, might not believe it that apostles uh, exist today, right? There are some people that believe that the apostles ended when the last apostles that saw Jesus Christ right, died, and then there's no more apostles. They also believe that the prophets 
right? The only prophets that existed were the prophets that ushered in the coming of Jesus Christ, right? There's some people that believe that. And there's people that believe that there are actual apostles today and prophets today, right? Now, let's just agree to disagree, right? For the sake of unity, right? I personally believe that apostle, there are apostles. Now, am I going to believe that every person that says that they're an apostle, am I going to recognize them as an apostle? No. But I, I believe that there are people that are shaping Christianity within the world that have a, an apostolic calling on them, right? There's people that have prophetic, they don't just have a prophetic gift. They, like, are able to declare things, and it comes true. I believe that there, there are prophets out there, right? And, 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 and he says that these apostles is, is the fivefold ministry, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and, and pastors. These are the fivefold ministries. Right? And, and some churches believe in the fivefold ministries. And Paul here says that they were given to the church to equip the work, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, when this question was asked to Bobby Connor, right? Did anybody ask him about the apostle? I don't really remember what the what the question actually was, but actually, what his answer actually blew my mind. And actually really radically shaped my thinking of what, like, leadership actually is. And Bami Connor, he's, when this question was asked, he described the apostolic not as, like, this one man at the top, right, telling everybody what to do, and then, like, everybody else following everybody else what to do. But it was actually a, a it wasn't this pyramid where there's a one man on top and everybody else following in line. It was actually an upside-down pyramid. He said the five-fold ministry is actually upside-down. And the apostle is actually at the bottom. He's actually helping and supporting and raising up all these other people that are actually going to go and out and do the work of the ministry. They're just supporting all of the prophets. They're supporting all of the teachers. And then the teachers are actually teaching all of these people not to get all this recognition, but to actually equip them to go out and then and do the work of the ministry. It was, it's an actually an upside-down pyramid. And that actually blew my mind because our church for the longest time was pyramid. Everything came top-down. And, I, and when I heard that, it was like it was like this thing. It was like, and I realized, like like we, the, the, it's it's completely different. And, and and my role is actually completely different. My role isn't for me to go and tell you all what to do. My role is actually to support you and encourage you and raise you up and help you to know your giftings and your calling, so that now you can actually go from here and you start to do what God has called you to do. It's upside down. The pyramid's upside down. And it makes sense because Paul starts out with what? He says we have to be what? Humble. I have to lead with humility. The greatest among you will be your servant. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. And Paul says that the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds, and the teachers were given to the church to do what? To be over you guys and tell you guys what to do and, and control you guys? No, to equip you guys so that you for the work of the ministry. Imagine, you know, I remember like, like, like these, like you know, like Barack Obama, right? Imagine Barack. Who, who, who loves Barack Obama? Everybody loves Barack Obama. Everybody. Imagine like Barack Obama like goes back to his like third grade teacher, this old woman that's still alive. And he's like, oh man, you know what? Like, like, like what you told me, and, and and you encouraged me, and you said that to me, and then now it made me want to become president of the. United States, and then that's what I became. I became first black president of the United States. And uh, that old woman, all she did was, what she, what did she do? She was at the bottom of that pyramid. She was just encouraging and just sending out people into education, saying, "Hey, you can be what you, what you, what you want to be. You can go out." Think about it. That's the role of, of of these gifts that were given to the church. 
pastors, evangelists, teachers. As a pastor, my goal is to equip and encourage you to go out in the anointing and be the church. All of these offices, they're all bottom up, it's the upside down pyramid, supporting the saints, raising them up. The evangelist, right? Evangelist is not supposed to be like this, you know, like the person that's recognized. You know what a true evangelist is? No matter how big an evangelist is, no matter how well recognized an evangelist is, the heart of a true evangelist is to do what? Right? Look, look, hey, look over there, look over there. Hey, everybody, look, turn around, turn around, turn around. Look, 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 I'm serious, look, look. It's Jesus. You know, that's what the evangelist is supposed to do. When everybody, if evangelist has a gift, when people look at them, they go, hey, it's Jesus. Look, 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 it's like Waldo. If you look right there, it's Jesus, right? That's the work of the evangelist, right? It's not supposed to become this. I'm sure evangelists get famous, but the heart of evangelists is to actually point to Jesus. No matter how much people come to them, they're like, you know, like, hey, hey, what's up? Hey, nice to meet you. Look, it's Jesus, look. Look over there, it's Jesus. And then they take their eyes off of them and they set it upon Jesus. That is the heart of an evangelist. And then people are drawn to evangelists. Billy Graham was drawn to evangelism. Like, and people were drawn to Billy Graham. But what did Billy Graham constantly do? He just pointed to Jesus. He lived a life pointing to Jesus. Right? Same with teachers. Teachers raise up people. They teach to do what? Right, to look smart in people? No. They teach so that they could raise up other teachers. They can raise up people that's going to go out and teach. Prophets, they hear the voice of the Lord. What, to get famous so that you can get paid for giving out prophetic words? No. You know, if you look at the Bible, if you read the Bible and you read about the prophets, they had like crappy lives, dude. They suffered. I don't want to be Isaiah, man. I don't want to be Jeremiah stuck in Babylon, like, oh, you know, like, they had hard, like, John the Baptist, right, dude wore camel fur, right, and he ate locusts, right, but what is a prophet supposed to, the prophet is supposed to, to what, what's the main aspect of what the prophet is, is to, is the what, the word of the Lord, what the, what God is saying, all of the attention goes out to what God is saying. They quit, like, when they meet somebody, it's like, hey, God wants this for you. Like, God, God has this for you. And it's actually build people up, raise people up. It's, it's, a, it's an office that's at the bottom saying, hey, man. And the prophet is also supposed to constantly point at Jesus. A true prophet, like the evangelist, is pointing at Jesus, is a servant. They diminish, and what God is saying is exalted. All of these, the better, is, is for the betterment of other people, equipping the saints, the apostle, right? I believe that there's an apostle say is actually supposed to be at the, the bottom of everyone, supporting everybody else, equipping everybody else, right? They, they're the ones that are, they're helping the prophets, helping the evangelists, helping the teachers, supporting them so that they can, in essence, go and continue to go up, continue to build, continue to raise, to minister, to preach, to teach, and gather people under the authority of God for building up the body of Christ. This is the model that is depicted in Ephesians 4. Here's the thing. God's plan is not for everyone to, to look at me as a pastor, but for me to help you, encourage you, equip you to see Jesus and for you to walk in the calling that you have been called to as a church 
to minister in your workplaces. You have relationships in your workplaces, your boss, the person that's under you, with your friends, with your families, with the people that are around you. For your life to be a representation of God's love and God's and Jesus' lordship over your life. It's the church. But so many times our understanding of church is a place, is a location, it's a building. But at the end of the day, when God says the church, he's talking about people. He's talking about you and me. Paul tells us the church, you, to step into your calling, minister, and then he says what? In verse 13, it says, Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The fourth theme or the aim that God has for us as a church is maturity. Everybody say maturity. As a church, as individuals, and corporately, we must aim for maturity. This means that the church needs to take, we need to take our faith seriously. Taking our lives for Christ seriously, our walks seriously, taking the Word of God seriously. Do we take the Word of God seriously? Do we, do we take the Bible seriously? Do we, do we see this as just something that we take to church, or is it something that we actually go into and read and say, hey, what does this actually say about what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to be? It says, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. We mature in our understanding of Jesus, in our relationship with Him. We start to mature in that relationship. You know, Mina, we were talking, it was Mina's birthday, and we went out to dinner, and we're walking. The kids, we had a babysitter, and the babysitter took the kids, and we said, Hallelujah, and we ran out of the house. We went to Taimaji, and then we parked the car, and we're walking, and then Mina said something very, like, like it was very, it was very, uh, she was, it was very, like, fitting for this. This is a sermon. He, she said, uh, I remember when we first got married, and the people would tell us that the honeymoon phase is about five years, and then after that, it'll change, right? And she was like, oh, I never thought that. I thought we were, we were so loving. We also hold, and we, we really did. We held each other all the time. People would get grossed out by us. We would be like hugging in front of everybody. We'd hold hands all the time. We were lovey-dovey, right? But then, what? Our relationship actually changed and matured. And, and that honeymoon phase ended. Does it mean that we became less close to one another? Does it mean that we, we start to like each other less? No. That, that relationship matured to the point where God has brought us up into deeper things about ourselves, deeper understanding about our relationship, deeper issues and deeper things, helping us to love each other through, through, through deeper and, and, and harder and maybe even more difficult seasons of our lives. Right? Yeah, we don't don't snuggle and we don't hug in front of it. We still do it once in a while, right? even in public. Right? But but our our relationship has matured. I have a I have I have a, there's a level of faith that I have in in, in my wife that I, I like. I'm like I trust her. Right? Yeah, we fight. There's times where we fight, we argue. We, there's a lot of times we argue. But then there's a level of faith that has grown and matured in our love. That our love is actually deeper than it was when we first started. Right? In the same way with our relationship with Jesus, it needs to mature. That has to be a, a goal in our life. 
We can't just stick to the superficial things about Christianity that, that, that we first learned about and just kind of stay in that time where we look back 10 years from now and we're still kind of in that same area of our life. God never intended our lives to be just the superficial, on the level, surface kind of relationship with Him. He said we're supposed to go deep, where deep cries unto deep. The aim of the church is for us to mature. It says to mature manhood. We need to grow up. We need to start to take our lives and our relationship with God seriously. Mature to knowing and standing on the calling that we are called to. A few weeks ago, I said that there is only one of each of us. Right? There's only one clay in all of existence and time. From the beginning of the of the universe to when Jesus comes back, there will only be one clay chunk that looks like exactly like that and, that, and has his soul. Right. In all of existence, there will only be one Leanne that has looks like this and has her soul. Right? And that means that there's only one way that Clay could use his life to honor God in the way that God has called him to do. There's only one way, only one way that, that Leanne could live her life and honor God and bring glory to God in the way that she is called to do. Right? That's why... She, God says, like, we're all special. We're individuals. There's no one like you. I know, you, I know like, 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 you know, like every aspect about you because I made you very, very special and so special that there's only one of you and I've only made it so that there's only one way that you could glorify me in the way that you live your life. Right? That means that we have to take our life seriously. We have to take our walk seriously. We have to realize that God predestined us from before the foundation of the world for us to honor and glorify him in the way that we live our life. In this moment in history, in this time in history, for, for, from 1975 to 19, whatever, or 2000, whatever, when I pass away, there's only one Caleb Lee that's going to live this life with this soul that will glorify God in this way. We need to take our life seriously. We have to know that we are called to bring glory to the Lord. Holy Spirit, I work within us to have authority in our lives, transform us, transform our values, transform our thought life, our action, our priorities, the way we see things, the way we perceive things, individually mature in Christ, and corporately aiming for maturity is what God is calling us to. And it's creating an atmosphere for ministry to happen. Not getting tossed around by, by winds of doctrine means like knowing the Word of God. No, really knowing it. Right? You know, you know what, what's going to bring unity into the body of Christ? This is one thing. There's only one thing, I believe, that's going to bring unity into the body of Christ. All of the different denominations and all of the different ways that people, people uh, uh, worship God and think this is the right way. You know what's going to bring unity to the church? is every one of us going deep into the Word of God so that we understand the Word of God. And not just like what we think is the word of God. If if Presbyterians and and like Meth and Baptists and Charismatics, right, and and all of the leaders started to really study the word of God together, there's going to be unity. Because this is truth. You guys know that this is the truth. This is the word of God. It's alive and active. This cannot. This 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 is the word of God. And, and it's not like it, it's not for us to like. Hey, this is this. It's like. We get transformed by this. When we start to really like dissect this, 
When we eat the word of God, like we we ingest it into our soul, into who we are in our hearts, and this starts to really come alive in us. This changes us, right? It's not so we're not supposed to change the word of God into what we think it is. The word of God is supposed to change us into what God says we're supposed to be. And you know what? When all of us, Methodists, Baptists, Lutherans, Charismatics, Spirit-led people, or like people that only sing hymns at church, if all of us started to really go into the Word of God and really seek out what God is saying, there would be unity in the body of Christ. That's maturity, guys. That's what we're called to. We're called to, to a deep level of maturity where we're no longer children tossed about by, oh, this is right. No, this is right. No, this is the way it should be. The gifts are, are, are active and open. Apostles don't exist. Prophets don't. No, we're supposed to all come together and realize that, hey, what, what does the Word of God say? And how are we supposed to be changed by the Word of God? Not getting tossed around by the wind and doctrine, every, every scheme of, of, of people, but understanding and being mature, being led to God in the maturity that He has for us. It means not being shook by the things that happen in our lives, but us knowing who we are in Christ and standing firm on the Word of God into maturity. Paul's aim for his church is to, 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 to mature. And all that humility, gentleness, patience, I talked about it last week, is actually the steps that will help us to walk towards maturity. If you want to be mature, you've got to be patient. You can't... You, you, can, you can look mature, right? Remember, like, girls that were, like, 13, 14 years old, they wear their makeup. I remember one time I was in high school, and then we were, like, at a party, and then this girl came in. We're like, dang, she's fine. He's like, well, that's my little sister. She's 12. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me, right? Like, like you can look mature, right? You could do all these things to, like, come off mature, wear lipstick, wear a short dress, put on high heels. But then in order for you to really be mature, things got to change inside you. And, and, and we have to really learn what patience is. We have to really learn what gentleness is and what love truly is. And the last aim or last theme that I want to talk and Paul talks about here is to grow. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to say makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're called to grow as a body of Christ. We, it's just, it's, you can see it in, in creation, right? Like, like Henry right now, he's just a little baby. He's just started walking, right? He's not supposed to, to remain that big. Right? It, it, imagine, Dorette, if Henry will be that helpless and that's for the rest of his life. Imagine how horrifying that would be, right? If, if, if Ezra was terrible too for the rest of his life, now I would consider adoption. You can see it in creation. We're called to what? Grow. We're called to mature, but we're actually called to, to be more, more tomorrow than we are today. That, that's the Great Commission. Remember, it says go out and make what? Disciples, right? This is what Clay is doing as he goes to Turkey, right? Like with that little slide where he showed us all of the things that were in the Bible, kind of blew my mind. I'm like, man, I mean, there's these are the, actually the same people, the same lineage of people that started Christianity in the church. 
We're called to grow. We're called to be more as we grow, right? We're, we're called to leave a legacy. We're called to grow. Speaking the truth in love, we can't sacrifice truth for growth. We must speak the truth of God in love. We're to grow into Christ. We are to grow, become like Christ, and then be more, to expand. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint and which is every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. It's about each of us finding our place in the body with the giftings that God has given us and doing our part, knowing our gifts, understanding what we're called to and working together so that we can grow. Some of you God's going to use this way. Some of you God's going to use this way. But all of you guys are called to help the church and help the body of Christ to grow. Doesn't mean that we get covetous trying to be other people, but it's understanding God and hearing from Him the precious one way, the only one way that you can glorify Him with your life. It's finding that and living that life out and helping to grow the body of Christ. Walking in love, walking in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. We come together knowing our place as ministers and maturing into the likeness of Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. We make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is the church. And God is glorified when we grow. The church is to aim for growth. Not just numbers and figures, right? You can't just be all caught up in numbers and figures. They do matter to a certain degree. But true growth is how people love Jesus. And how many people love Jesus. And how we love him well. We build, it builds itself up in love. How much we love Jesus and also how many of us love Jesus. As a church, gathering people under Christ is being what the church is called to be. Paul's talking about this. He's saying like, hey man, this is who you are. You want to, I want you to act accordingly. I want you to grow in these characteristics. I want you to grow in these attitudes. Right? I want you to be together, united. I don't want you to be fight and squabble with one another, but I want you to like learn to like be patient and love and come together as one. And I want you guys to know that every single one of you, right, it doesn't matter how tall you are, how short you are, how fat you are, right, or, or how intelligent you are, or it doesn't matter. Every one of you is given a gift, and you're supposed to play your part in and, and, and start to mature and, under, and know God more. And as you know God more, and as you start to love on one another, you're supposed to grow. This is the, this is the understanding that he's telling to the Ephesians. Like all of the churches that I, I was there for the three years in Ephesus, right? He, 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 he loves Ephesus. Right? He goes out. He has that one, you know, as, as, as Paul in Acts, I think it's Acts 19, where Paul's going back to Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to go and get imprisoned. He, he says, Everybody's telling me not to go, but Holy Spirit is telling me to go. And then everything that the Holy Spirit is telling me is I'm going to go, I'm going to be imprisoned, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be persecuted, and, and, but I'm going to go anyways. And as he's going, and he's like, I want to go quickly. Right? Paul says that. I want to go quickly so that I can spend Passover in Jerusalem. I want to get there, but the Ephesians. He takes a moment. He's like, oh, but, but those Ephesians, man. I love those Ephesians, man. I, I got to have a moment. And he has a moment with them. He, he calls all the Ephesians elders and he gathers them up and he's like, hey man, don't forget what I taught you. Don't forget. I, I spent three years with you 
And I started all those little churches, all those ministries I started. Like, I want you to be and continue to know what, what, what you're called to do. And then years later, he sends this letter to them. He's like, come on. I remember, I know that you guys, I've heard. It says in the beginning of Ephesians, he's like, I've heard how you've been growing and how you've been like holding to the faith in Christ Jesus. Man, I heard of what you've become since I've left. That's awesome. But then this is, this is, this is what I want you to continue in. This is what's going to help you to grow. And, and you feel Buzan, you know, we've kind of shrunk. I mean, I think it's, 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 you can see it, you know, in the numbers that we have. I mean, we, but somebody said it today in our prayer meeting. It's like, I feel like God is shrinking us for a reason. God is shrinking us so that we can actually go back to the foundations. Go back to the, to the beginnings of what we're supposed to be called to, to do as a church. And it's to grow in these things. I believe that God has a mighty plan for our church. And God has a mighty plan for each and every one of you. And it requires you to know that you are the church. You are the church. And you are to go out. And you are to do what God has called you to do. Everything that God has planned for all this throughout history of the Jewish people and and Passover and all of these things all led to you, the church, going out and becoming the kingdom and giving the kingdom away. This is beautiful. And Paul is a poet. Dude. You read his writings. He's such an amazing writer. But he's also one that really understands the heart of what God wants for his people. And, and, and it's amazing that the church, you and I, in this group, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to go out and change this world. And you know what? If we follow what God is, Holy Spirit is leading in our lives, we will change this world. We will change the city. No matter where we go, no matter how low we get, no matter how we got, there, there will be tangible transformation in what we do as we continue to live our lives.